No matter how many times uh, we sing that hymn, Be Thou My Vision, it's, it's still, for me, is fresh and really inspiring. It's also one of those songs that you cannot imagine being translated into modern English. It just wouldn't work, would it? Be You My Vision. It just doesn't. So I just, it's, it's fantastic to be able to sing that. Um, we're going to turn to God's Word, and we're going to turn to Ephesians 6. We'll look at verse 14. I knew I shouldn't have sung. But I want to read from verse 10. The words are up on the screen. It's also uh, in the Pew Bible, page 1177. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist." Um, I hope you're not too tired, because I want to go into this, uh, not, I hope, in a length of time, but I want to go into this in um, some detail, and particularly setting it in the context of our culture, and in the biblical context, and see how the two things come together. In one sense, you could make this a very short and very simple sermon, the belt of truth, the truth is God's word, um, we, we need that, we need God's word, and that's what he's saying. But there's a whole lot more to it than that, as we will see. I think I want to set this, first of all, in the context of our own culture, and if you're the kind of person who likes the Bible to be taught in such a way that we begin with the Bible verse and so on, then just be patient just for about five minutes and, and to we talk about what this whole idea of truth means, and then uh, we'll come on to look at the biblical context, and then we'll look at putting this together and how it practically works for us. The first key question, and for those of you who are over 50, may seem a nonsensical question, is, is there such a thing as truth? Um, The problem is that many of us well, older people especially were brought up with the idea that there is truth and that there are stories that are true. There's, to use technical jargon, there's what's called the meta-narrative, the big story. But there has been a massive sea change in thinking in, uh, in universities, in the media, and it's reflected in so many different ways, where now anyone who believes in truth as an absolute, is likely to be considered as a dangerous fanatic. I did a debate in Jackson, Mississippi once, and the professor of philosophy there stood up and said, when I hear someone say they believe in truth, I reach for my gun. It's Mississippi, of course, so even liberals had guns. And he said, I reach for my gun because someone who believes in truth, absolute truth, he regarded as a dangerous fanatic. And again, please forgive just the, the... big language, but um, postmodernism 
is the idea that there is no big truth, no big story, no absolute truth. Since it's the American elections, I thought I'd quote Barack Obama. Uh, and I quote, for my American friends, I quote, as I quote anybody else, without endorsement or approval. Just, I, I thought this was a really interesting quote from his book, The Audacity of Hope. He says, implicit in its structure, and he's talking about society, that the new way America was being governed, in the very idea of ordered liberty was a rejection of absolute truth, a rejection of the infallibility of any idea or ideology or theology or ism. And that really describes where lots of people say that they are and think that they are. Put it in a more um, colloquial way, from move from America to Wales, and the Manic Street Preachers had a wonderful song, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. So each of us has our own truth. Now, that creates all kinds of problems. And I, I want to give you a quote. It's a little bit um, complex, but for me, it really helped show where we were going in our culture. We talk about politics and truth. This is from an article in The Spectator magazine. The lack of respect for fact has led to an entirely new kind of politics. Something really interesting has taken place in Britain. We have abandoned the idea that there is an independent reality which is out there and subject to independent verification and instead adopted a new political epistemology. There you go, that's a great word to get on a Sunday night. The emphasis of argument has moved from truths that can be proven to narratives that can be constructed. In other words, you just tell a story. And you'll, you'll see that, by the way, in churches and so on, where when in preaching, instead of going to God's word as the truth and telling the big narrative of Jesus Christ, people want to hear lots of stories, not as illustrations, but really in, almost in replacement of the truth. The article goes on, this new postmodern political settlement is formally recognized by the ruling elite. Peter O'Mandelson, inventor of the new politics, speaks of the need to create the truth. And again, that's really important because what we're seeing in our culture is governments and educators and others and media people just inventing the truth. Appearance and reality have become identical. Government therefore ceases to be about getting things done. It's about being seen to get things done. And that's very, very important. The, the idea that there really isn't any big truth out there. There is no truth. And I'm stating all of this purely and simply for you to grasp and understand that when we talk about truth, when the Bible talks about truth, when we speak of having the truth, that is alien to so much of our culture. And it comes across as arrogant and um, ignorant and very, very, very dangerous. Now, that attitude has infected the church. I, I had loads of examples of this. I'm only going to give you one. This is from Christianity Magazine in April of this year. Uh, a well-known uh, Christian teacher from the States, Bill Johnson, says this. If your unity is based on truth, then when you disagree over truth, you have to divide. But if your unity is based on friendship in the spirit, then you can stay friends and work it out. Now, that sounds cute. It sounds wise. It sounds like Christian Confucianism. It sounds lovely. And it is one of the most dangerous things that could ever be taught. What does it mean, your unity is based on the Spirit? 
what, what do you know? The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. We see that, we've read that already in, in the passage that we've got here. This is the Spirit of truth. And one of the problems that we've got in the church is there are lots of people in church who are very wary also of this idea of truth. We continually take on board our culture. It's deeply ingrained. And yet, there are many, many people who, who really do want to hear truth and the truth. Albert Camus, in uh, the afterword to his book, The Outsider, The Stranger, which some people think is all postmodern, says this, describing his own character. He says, far from lacking all sensibility, he's driven by a tenacious and therefore profound passion, the passion for an absolute and for truth. And that's, you know, giving you that background, what I'm trying to say is in our culture, there are people who are drowning in a sea of untruth, who are longing for the truth, but are really scared of people who say they have the truth. And that's where we come in as Christians, because we're not claiming we have the truth, we're claiming that Jesus is the truth. There are <clears throat> numerous other examples, so I'm not going to give you any more I want to look at the biblical context in, that we have here. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's telling the Ephesian Christians they are faced, they are in a mighty spiritual battle. And we are. And here's the rub for us as a church. The more God blesses us, the more we're going to have to fight. Because the more the devil is going to be annoyed. The devil never bothers with Christians who don't bother him. And... Therefore, you can have a nice, peaceful, quiet life. But if we want to truly serve Jesus Christ, then we will find ourselves not rushing headlong into battle because that is a very foolish way and it's only the ignorant who do that. But we will find ourselves being attacked and as we saw last week, we have to stand. And sometimes it is a, as, as we would say in Scots, a serfecht, it's a sore fight. It is a hard fight. So Paul takes a picture from his own culture of the Roman soldier. And he then goes through various bits of armor that the soldier had. And he begins with this one, the belt of truth. He's taking it from a biblical context. I've put two quotes up there. One is from Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. And the wisdom of Solomon is an apocryphal book, which was translated in the Greek Old Testament. The Lord will take his zeal as his whole armor and will arm all creation to repel his enemies. He will put on righteousness as a breastplate and wear impartial justice as a helmet. He will take holiness as an invincible shield and sharpen stern wrath for a sword and creation will join with him to fight against his frenzied foes. The point about that is this, that this is the armor of God given to God's people to advance God's cause as well as to defend ourselves. The reason why he begins with the belt is it is very important. The belt holds everything together. Uh, we had the wedding yesterday, and um, my wife doesn't believe me with this, but I left home without my belt, and I was wearing a suit for the first time in a long time, and 
uh, I found myself with my hands in my trousers because my trousers were falling down because I'd become so slim. Uh, I'd lost a fair bit of weight. And uh, it was actually getting quite awkward. I thought this would be really awkward if it didn't. So I had to find a belt and um, put a belt on. The belt holds things together. Now, in the Roman soldier, there were, there were two ways you could have the belt. One, you had an external belt that... Um, most importantly, you kept the scabbard for your uh, sword. So you couldn't be, have the sword if you didn't have the belt. Plus, the belt kept your armor together. Or another form of belt was in the undergarments, the tunic, and so on. And that was needed to just keep all that together and to stop you becoming entangled with it. The whole idea, though, is to say that this is mentioned first because it's this belt of truth that keeps everything connected and keeps everything together. Believers need to get ready for battle. We need to be able to move. We need to be able to go with the gospel of peace. We need to be able to take on the devil. And in order for that to happen, we need to have this belt of truth. Now, if you turn to First Peter, chapter 1, I want to read this because it's, it's directly, there are many passages that directly connect with this, but I think this is perhaps the most relevant, and I do want to read the whole section. First Peter 1, verse 13. It's a kind of rallying call. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your first thing in this is you you have to think. You have to prepare your mind. Things don't just wash over you. You need to be self-controlled. You need to set your hope fully on what uh, the grace given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that means you've got to know what that is. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. Now, that's the key phrase in that whole passage because it's going back to what's just been said about Jesus, and it's saying, this is the truth. This is the big story. This is the meta-narrative. Not your life. Not your personal circumstances. Not what's going on right now. The big story is not what's going on in politics and government and everything else. The big story is Christ was chosen before the creation of the world. Christ came into this world. Christ was slain, and so on. Through Christ, you believe in God. 22. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. And again, notice that. This truth, this grand story, this wonderful story, is true, and because of it, you can love. You don't love without it. 
People who set truth and love over and against one another. For example, the quote I gave from the Christianity magazine where people say unity is based on truth and we say, no, it's based on the spirit and on love. You don't divorce. You don't split up what God has joined together. Love one another deeply from the heart, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. In our culture, this is completely the opposite of where our culture is. Our culture says whatever you feel is true is true for you. This says, actually, no, it's not. You're like grass. It blows away. You're there one moment, then you're gone. How can you be the truth? But God's word is true and is imperishable. It doesn't perish. It doesn't fade. It doesn't waste away. And Christians need to equip ourselves with the truth of God. If we are only equipping ourselves with what we feel at one particular time. So you can be here tonight and you can feel tremendously encouraged and tremendously on fire. And on the other hand, you can feel totally exhausted and totally discouraged and totally confused. And you know what? Neither of those things is unimportant, but neither of them is what you base your life on or your faith in Jesus Christ on. Because Jesus Christ is true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's only in that way that we can move forward. It's only in that way that we can advance. Let's think about this in terms of the truth. The The truth is the truth of the gospel, or particularly the truth of God's word. The truth as it is in Jesus. As a belt is bound round a man's waist, so I bound the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor. But they have not listened. It is only the truth which can dispel the devil's lies and set us free. I'm not going to read it just now, but if you wanted to read John 8, verses 31 to 45, you will see how strongly Jesus states that earlier in Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 21. Surely you heard of him. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Chapter 5 and verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. There are words that are empty and there are words that are full, that contain truth, that are full of Christ. The fruit of the light in Ephesians 5.9 consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. It is the devil's second favorite weapon. I think pride is the first. But I think his second favorite weapon is to cause us to question what is truth. To question whether God speaks the truth. To believe that somehow God lies to us or we cannot know the truth of God. If we do not have the truth of the Bible, and I need to say this as well, you need your theology to be right. Theology is not just for ministers or geeks in sandals. 
It is, theology is, is for all of us. All of us have a theology as we have a philosophy. Theology is just what we think about God, what we know about God. It is tremendously important to, to take time to understand and to grasp theology. And uh, one of the reasons I'm particularly glad that uh, Will and Judy Traub are here, Will in particular, Will is a theologian. I'm sorry to out you, Will, but he is. And he's not a geek, and he is an excellent theologian, particularly in the Old Testament. And we will make good use of Will in uh, looking at how we understand the theology of the Old Testament. It really is important to get your theology right at a practical level, because a true understanding of the things of the gospel means that when Satan throws his arrows, we know how to deal with them. Without that, we will fall apart. Let me give you one example. We need forgiveness, but how does forgiveness come? Does forgiveness come because we feel God putting his arm around us and saying, oh, it's okay, you're forgiven? What is the Christian understanding of forgiveness? How can a holy and just and pure and beautiful God forgive someone who has sinned against him, who has perverted his creation, who has destroyed what is good? How can God forgive me? And that is one of the most difficult questions to answer. If you have no understanding, like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, you will say he'll forgive me because c'est son métier, it's his job. That's what God does. No, no, God's job is to be just and fair and merciful and loving at the same time. How can God forgive? And that is a very difficult question to answer until you understand atonement, until you understand the Old Testament sacrificial um, givings and sacrifices, until you understand why Jesus came, what the cross is about, until you grasp that, once you grasp that, when you survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, then you are able to know forgiveness. Then you are able to understand, oh, I get it, I see it, I grasp it, because otherwise what you're going, is going to happen is someone is going to tell you, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, and you're going to go, yeah, right, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, but within yourself, you don't really see it, and you certainly don't feel it. But when you see what Jesus did, when you see the truth of atonement, you see the truth of the cross, it is really wonderful. John 17, verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So this belt of the truth is, is God's word. It is being communicated God's word, and it's why we're here. Sincerity, truthfulness, loyalty, and faithfulness. So, for example, in chapter 4 and verse 25, we're told that uh, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He committed himself. He was faithful to the church. Um, chapter 4, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Chapter 5, verse 8, again, Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. A key aspect of our spiritual battle is, therefore, integrity. Oops, sorry, go back there. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now, that was prophesied of Christ. It also has to be true of us. If we are involved with spiritual warfare... 
but we are weighted down by our own sinfulness, then we will stumble and fall. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 says we are to throw aside every weight that hinders. So we have this belt on, this belt of truth, and when we lie, it's as though we're putting weights on to handicap us, to stop us being able to move or to fight or to run. To be deceitful, to lapse into hypocrisy, to resort to intrigue and scheming is to play the devil's game, and we can never beat the devil at that game. You cannot outlie the devil. That is one thing the devil is better at than any one of us and better at than God, and that is lying. He is the father of lies. The devil hates truth. He loves darkness. For us, for spiritual and mental health, honesty is vital. If we live a lie, we cannot serve the truth. And that is really important when you're trying to assess where you're at spiritually. Don't kid yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't listen to the lies of the devil, but don't lie to yourself. As individuals, it is essential for the church that we are truthful people, that we are honest people, that we are sincere people. I put up a quote there from Anthony Beaver's book, The Spanish Civil War, which is a really important insight. He says this, another important lesson from the time was that mass self-deception is simply a sedative prescribed by leaders who cannot face reality themselves. And the Spanish Civil War proved the first casualty of war is not truth, but its source, the conscience and integrity of the individual. Uh, To me, that's a really important insight that... We ourselves, there needs to be a consistency within us. When Tony Blair was our Prime Minister, I found it very difficult, and I'm just saying this as an observation, I don't know, but he always did that sincere thing really well. You know, I'm just so sincere, I'm so, and maybe he was, but it just, I don't know, for me, it just didn't have the ring of truth. There needs to be personal integrity. So when we're told to take the belt of truth, it's not just sufficient for us to have the Bible and to take the Bible and say we believe the Bible, but we need to apply the Bible in our own lives. And that's really where the rubber hits the road. Now, never mind Obama and Tony Blair and all the other people I've been quoting. There's a wonderful old Puritan called William Gurnall who wrote a uh, book called The Christian in Complete Armor. You can get the Banner of Truth version, which, believe it or not, was a collaboration between the Banner of Truth and David Wilkerson of the Cross and the Switchblade um, Manhattan Square Church uh, Pentecostal minister. But wonderful, he did a wonderful thing with this book, translated it into modern English. And you can get it, and I'd highly recommend it. You can get the old original version, uh, plenty versions of it, again from the Banner, uh, and you can get it on Kindle for 50p. It's great, and it's, it'll take you about a year to read, but it's, it's a fantastic book. And if you think, I'm going into too much detail on this, you try reading Gurnall. I mean, his thing on the belt of truth takes you a month to read, but it's, it is wonderful, and it's really great. And he has seven things to uh, how you um, put on the belt of truth, and I'm going to list them. I won't go into them any detail, and I'm going to add three on. So you've got ten more points before we're finished, and we'll do that in ten minutes. Number one, be sincere in seeking the truth. Approach it with a sincere heart. That makes all the difference. Don't muck around. 
Be sincere. You really want to know the truth? Go for the truth. You don't want to know the truth? Stop faking it. I've put some scripture references up there for these as well. Number two, receive the ministry of the word from those God has equipped to serve it. God has given gifts to the body of Christ. A sincere heart will aid you in discerning the truth. In other words, sometimes people say, what church should I go to? How should I work at which church? Students are uh, coming to the city just now and say, what church should we go to? And the CU gets in a bit of trouble because I think it only does about seven churches on its cr- church crawl. And I've heard people complain, why don't the CU come to us? I remember one guy saying it to me and I said, they don't come to you because you don't teach the truth. That wasn't the most subtle of replies. But he doesn't. He doesn't teach the truth. And the CU would be absolutely wrong to encourage people to go to a church just because it says it's a church. We need the truth. Now, I personally don't care if it's, you know, the backgrounds of the church. You can have churches where the truth is taught that are Baptist or Pado-Baptist or Charismatic, Reformed, uh, so many different things. But it is, it is, for me, it is always wrong for a Christian to go to a church where what's taught from the pulpit undermines rather than proclaims the Word of God. And we need to receive the ministry of the Word from those whom God has equipped to serve it. I do think this must come first, that when you choose a church, you choose it, I'm not saying according to the style of the preacher or anything like that, but you choose it according to the attitude and the centrality of the preaching of God's word. If you choose it because of the style of the worship or because of other things, you've got it wrong. You'll get out of skew. But it's the attitude to God's word. Number three, accommodate the whole body of Christ. Gurnall says, don't restrict yourselves to the teachings or doctrines of any one particular group or denomination in your quest for the truth. God has not given the totality of his truth to any one particular group. We must discern the body if we are to grow. And again, young Christians, what we do sometimes is we church we go to, we really, really like it. And so basically everyone else is wrong. It's only our church that's really, really, really got the truth. And that is a mistake It's a mistake. If your church teaches God's word, be very, very thankful for that and praise the Lord for that. But we can learn from other churches. We can learn from other um, Christian backgrounds and traditions and so on. Accommodate the whole body of Christ. Number four, beware of curiosity. What Gurnall means by that, he Um, Wilkerson translates it into modern English in this way, strange and sometimes obviously wrong doctrine will appear. Witchcraft, new age, and all kinds of teaching will be repackaged as Christian doctrine. Don't let curiosity take you beyond the bounds of your heart's warning. This morning, coming out of church, um, I love it. Somebody asked a really good question about uh, what I was saying, and particularly, uh, actually, not so much what I was saying, the reading of Noah. It was really good when you read through the whole Bible systematically because you can't hide it away. You've all been taught Noah as a kid's story. When you read it, just as it is there in the Bible, it's horrific. It's one of the worst passages in the whole Bible to try and grasp and understand. And somebody asked me about that coming out and asked a particular question to which the answer was, 
We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Therefore, don't let your mind wander into idle curiosity and speculation. There are some things we just do not know. And sometimes someone will come along and they'll they'll offer something new and something really exciting. And they'll say, nobody in the church has understood this until now, but I've got it. If anyone ever says that, be really, really suspicious of them. Do you really think that God has kept it until that particular person comes along? I'm not saying that we can't grow and learn more and the church is continually uh, developing an understanding of God's word. But Gurnall's warning is very true. If you're going to put on the belt of truth, beware of curiosity. Not the curiosity of asking questions, but just wanting to, this always hunting after something new. Number five, be a humble seeker. Never assume perfection in any doctrine or teaching. Watch out for pride. Pride can make you a stranger to the throne of grace and turn humble praying for the truth into ambitious arguments. When I mentioned in our culture at the beginning, people thinking that those who proclaim a belief in truth and absolute truth are arrogant, I was mentioning that in a critical way. But there is an element of truth in their criticism because... Sometimes we can come across as incredibly arrogant, which is a paradox because the more we know of the truth, the more humble we should be. The more we know of the truth of God's word, the more we realize what we do not know. And every time we come seeking God's truth, we should bow our heads in humble submission and not be those people who who really just sit in judgment. I'm going to see if the preacher's sound today. I'm going to, you know, um, just don't. Do that. Come with a a humble attitude, seeking God's truth to come out. I I love my job in that I'm able to study the Bible and almost, I find it difficult to think of a, a week where I don't discover some new truth. To me, for me it's new, from God's word. And I think we need an attitude of humility. Number six, don't be offended at different opinions. It will only allow bitterness and malice to fester. Boy, there have been some punch-ups about um, the truths of God's word at times amongst Christians. You know, like baptism and so on. Well, we all know that infant baptism is right, but some of you don't. So, uh, I mean, I'll have to beat you up. You know, so, or uh, Arminianism and uh, Calvinism and Wesley and so on. Now, my brother Chris is a fantastic evangelist. Uh, he's a bit of an Arminian, but he's getting there just bit by bit. But we could fight amongst one another about things like that. It is not that these things are unimportant, but don't be offended at different people's opinions. We have our fellowship groups, and sometimes people go to them and they think, I wonder if I'm saying the right thing. I actually... A lot of times, you're not saying the right thing. I love our fellowship groups because people come in with the most outrageous things that you would never say in a Reformed Presbyterian setup if you actually knew what that was. But because you don't know, in all ignorance, you speak out of what you think is in God's Word. And many times, many, many times, we learn from that. I think it is really important that we do not be offended when people come up with different opinions and different perspectives, and that we learn from one another. This is Gurnell the Puritan telling us that. Number seven, know the value of truth in your own heart. When you find truth, you embrace it and you keep it. You let nothing tear it away from you, 
and more importantly, you live it. Marilyn Robinson in uh, her book Home has the character Jack saying this, it is possible, he's, he's wrestling with his own doubts and fears, and he says this, it's possible to know the great truths without feeling the truth of them. That's where the problem lies in my case. I know people, and you may be one of them, who know the good old story, who know the great, great truths of the Bible, but you don't feel them. You sing about the cross, you don't feel it. You listen to the the, the belt of truth and God's word being true. It doesn't impact you. It doesn't move you. It doesn't grasp you. It doesn't grip you. If you're going to wear the belt of truth, you need to know the value of truth in your heart. Those great hymns and great contemporary songs as well and the great songs of the Bible, the Psalms, we sing all three. They're great because they communicate the truth of God's word and they communicate who God is and as you sing them you I hope at least many times you feel them to the extent uh, I was sitting at the back just now and some of you got a bit carried away I mean you did the good old Presbyterian arm raising you got that high which was great it was wonderful that you we just you, you you can see people getting into it you can see people just thinking yeah this is truth this is just so wonderful. And I mentioned three others. Just list them. Read the Word of God, the Word of Truth regularly. That, again, is so important. I like using the McShane calendar. Other people don't. The McShane calendar, you read four chapters a day, and that means that you read the whole New Testament and Psalms twice, and the rest of the Old Testament once during the course of a year but to regularly read God's Word. And watch out, because the devil will always find time for you to do something else. And you need to take time in the Word of God for yourself. You need a solid, regular diet of the Word of God for yourself. And part of that is you need to meditate upon the truth as well. Don't be one of these tick box people who just say, yeah, here's my reading for today. Tick, read it quick, skim read. Take time to read, to think. Sometimes it's good to go through a book two or three verses at a time even in a day and just take your time to meditate and to think about and to reflect upon what the, the Word is telling us about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And number 10, discuss the truth with others. It is wonderful when God's truth is so much part of our lives that we discuss it, yes, in church, Yes, going out of church. Yes, at home around the dinner table. But also, when we meet with people, when we're on the bus, when we're in a cafe having a coffee and we we discuss the truth of God's Word. And again, that's the great thing about the pastoral groups. You know, 90% of pastoral care will take place because you're discussing the Word of God and you know the Word of God and you find that that's what speaks to you and helps you. There are specific instances where individuals will need to counsel and help and so on. But so much of the counseling comes from the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who takes his word and applies it. And you find that your hearts burn within you when you discuss together. That's what I love about the fellowship groups and the pastoral groups. They're a great way to learn because you're talking with people and I learn so much. I'm talking about somebody who's trained to communicate the Bible, who studies the Bible professionally, if you like. And I learn a huge amount from these fellowship groups. 
probably the best theologian in terms of his mind that I know is Professor Donald MacLeod of the Free Church College. And it was Os Guinness, actually, who at a seminary in California was asked, who did he think was the best theologian in the Western world? And he said, well, there's a man from this island called Lewis who's a professor at the Free Church College. And he says, I think he is. And Donald MacLeod was asked, where did you get your theology from? Now, Donald MacLeod's a guy who can read Karl Barth in a year and then lecture on it. And Karl Barth, in case you don't know, is a kind of really heavy theologian who's, in my view, deadly dull, but some people think he's really, he's a bit heretical as well. But, um, but Donald said, oh, I got my theology from um, house fellowships, Crofts in Lewis. Sometimes he said people who were even illiterate, but who just, we sat and we talked and we talked, and we shared together. They weren't even organized fellowship meetings as such, just people going back to the house and, and uh, experienced older Christians discussing and talking, and younger Christians sitting and listening, and then joining in and asking questions. And you just learn so much from that. So please do discuss the truth with others. If you've got questions, ask them. It's not about debating. It it is about taking on this belt. Let me finish with this. Ultimately, we see the truth in a person, Jesus Christ. That's why we're so passionate about those who distort the truth in the name of Jesus, because what they are doing is attacking Jesus. They are distorting Jesus. But we speak the truth not to win arguments, not to prove ourselves right, not to be arrogant, not to be self-righteous, but because we love the Lord Jesus Christ, because his word is truth, and because he is the truth. You have doubts and you have fears, you look to Christ. The devil comes to you and says, did God really say? You look to Christ. The devil comes to you and you, you read, we read a passage like, um, Genesis 7 about Noah and so on. You say, wow, how could that happen? How could God allow that? You go to Jesus, first of all. You read it all through Christ. And it, it just makes such a difference. The more I go on, the more I realize what I do not know. But the more I trust in the one whom I do know. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for the belt of truth. We ask that as we fight this spiritual battle, that we would actively put it on. We ask that we would be sincere, that we would receive the ministry of the Word, that we would listen to the whole body of Christ, that we would be beware of vain curiosity, that we would be humble, that we would not be offended at different opinions, but would be willing to think and to listen that we would know the value of truth in our own hearts, that we would read your word regularly and meditate upon it, that we would speak often with one another of you and your truth. And above all, Lord Jesus, may each of us today know you as the word of God the Father, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. In your name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. 
for information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Center for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.